Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, good morning, Radiant family and friends. Uh, thank you for joining us again this Sunday morning. Um, several weeks ago, we started a series through the book of Galatians, um, but for the last few weeks, we've paused that series as we've sought to bring God's eternal truth to our present circumstances. Um, and today, we are going to continue that endeavor. Uh, so today, I want to talk about hope. Uh, I want to talk about hope. What does that mean for us? Uh, what does God have to say about that? And so before we dive into the word of God, I want to give us some parameters and definitions for hope. When I say hope, I don't mean a, a well wishing that things will work out. Um, I don't mean a na- naive belief that ignores the realities that are around us. I'm talking about an indestructible hope that should anchor us and fuel us. We're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in the first five verses. Uh, Because we're jumping into Romans chapter 5, let me catch us up to the conversation that Paul has been having with the Romans thus far. In Romans chapter 1, he starts off that God has revealed himself in all of creation. He has made himself visible and known. And yet men and women turned away from the God who should be worshipped and began to worship not the creator, but creation itself. In chapter two of the book of Romans, we see that our own consciences condemn us, that they show that there is a right and wrong. We are born with this innate sense of justice and injustice, right and wrong. And so that shows us that there is a lawgiver that informs even our conscience. And so we are condemned by God's holy and righteous judgment, but our consciences also condemn us. And chapter three says that everyone is guilty before God. No, there is not one who is perfect. There is not one who is righteous. And so everyone is caught in their sins. And yet we begin to send the glimmers of hope in chapter three that in faith in Jesus Christ alone, we can find not just a reprieve from punishment, but adoption into God's family through salvation. Chapter four talks about the patriarch Abraham. And how that no one is exempt from a saving faith in Jesus as a prerequisite for salvation. Even the great men and women of faith that have gone before us, everyone needs to believe in Jesus. No one can get to God through their works. No one can get to God through their obedience. We all must come to God through Jesus. And in the very last two words of chapter four of Romans, it says our justification that Jesus was delivered up for our sins and he was raised for our justification. And that's the conversation that we're picking up in Romans chapter five. Those two words, our justification, form the thesis statement for the entire chapter five. And I want to begin by looking at the first few verses here because I want to unpack what does it mean by our justification? How does that give us a future hope? But how does that give us a present hope? Would you read Together with me, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. 
This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That is the word of God. So before we get to hope, Paul is going to lay down some foundation for our hope. Why should we have hope even in this life and after this life? And he begins with the words that we have been declared righteous, that we've been declared by God to be righteous. And that's what it means to be justified. Our justification is God declaring us righteous. Now, that word declared righteous might throw us off because when we watch sporting events, there may be someone who crosses the finish line of a race first. And because we see that, the announcer declares that person the winner. But here we're not talking about a declaration through observation. We're talking about a declaration through crucifixion that not because of our merit or achievement, but Jesus, his blood shed on the cross for us is what makes us righteous. And so that God is able to look down on us and declare us righteous. Not only are we declared righteous, but we have peace with God in verse one. It says that we have been uh, given peace through God because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. Now, being declared righteous also grants us this peace. Why do we need peace with God? Because the Bible makes it clear that we were enemies of God. Romans chapter three makes it plain that we turned away from all that was good and we chased after our own desires. And that should bring about a righteous and rightful judgment. And so we were at war and at odds with God. But because now through Jesus, we have been declared righteous. We are now able to enjoy peace with God, our creator. And that's good news. Matter of fact, that is the good news that through Jesus Christ, we go from guilty to not guilty, but doesn't stop there being declared righteous. It's as if we never sinned. We go from just not guilty to sons and daughters, heirs of righteousness, heirs to the throne itself. And now we go from enemies of God to now being made right with God and having peace with him and enjoying that peace. Now, justification is part of the good news. It means that we can now enjoy what it means to be on God's side, but it also means something more than that. See, sometimes when we think about how we have been made right with God, we sometimes pit attributes of God against one another. We say, well, God's mercy has overcome God's justice, and that's not all the way true. It means that all of God's attributes are working together. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, that when God justifies a sinner, Everything in God is on the sinner's side. When God justifies a sinner, everything in God is on the sinner's side. That means even justice looks down on us and says that we should live. It's not just his mercy conquering his justice. No, it satisfies God's justice. It satisfies God's anger and it satisfies God's mercy. And so all of God is now on our side through Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be justified. And from that, verses two through four says that there should be reasons to rejoice. This, this is the reason why we call it the good news, because it, it really is good to find ourselves going from enemies to friends of God. And so verse two paints a picture about why we should rejoice. And it says that we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, which means that God is not far off that God is both proximate and immediate. He is both intimate and close. He is sovereign above all creation, and yet he is dear and near to all of us because of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, for this reason, we should rejoice. 
and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. You see, Paul points to three reasons why we should rejoice. One is the access that we now have to God through Jesus, that we can go to him, not through the sacrificial system of blood of goats and rams, but now just through going to God in prayer. He hears us and is near to us. Another reason why we should rejoice is because we have a future glory. And this future glory is the hope of the glory of God that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter five, verse two, that we have a hope that cannot be taken away. The saints used to say it this way. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. We have a promise that one day God is coming back for his bride, that one day God is coming back for you and for I, for all of those who have been put their faith in Jesus Christ. He is coming back for us. But what about the moments between then and now. Is the Christian life reduced to a future hope only? Is the Christian life reduced to one day we'll die and it'll be okay? Is there no hope given right now in this present life that would also be good news? And I think that's the third reason that Paul gives us to rejoice, although it doesn't sound like it at first. Read with me verses three and four. And it says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Why? Because we know that the afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. You see, dear brother and sister, that even the things that we go through now, it's not just a wait and one day when we die, it'll be all right. That even now God is working in us something good. That even our afflictions produce a character, that character produces a hope. God is working something in us through our suffering, through our afflictions, through these hard moments. God is still working. C.H. Spurgeon says it like this, that hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity. You see, these afflictions that come through hard times, these afflictions that come through suffering, these afflictions that come through injustice and oppression. God is not absent in these moments. He is actually working in these moments to produce in us a hope. Not just for one day, but today. Not just any kind of hope, not just a hope that ignores reality, but an indestructible hope. Now, why do I call it an indestructible hope? First Peter chapter one, verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, our hope is not just in a change of circumstances. Our hope is in Jesus and he is alive. He is indestructible. They tried to destroy him before they nailed him to the cross. They watched him slowly suffocate and die. And yet when the powers of evil thought that they had won by killing our savior, what they were really doing is guaranteeing our victory through his shed blood on the cross. And so that is why we have an indestructible hope, because Jesus was in the grave for three days and walked out of the tomb like he was clocking back in from a break and went back to work pleading for us on behalf of the Father. And that is why we have an indestructible hope, church, because Jesus is that hope. 
He is that hope and he is indestructible. He is alive now, pleading and interceding on our behalf. And so our hope is not just in a change that we see, but in a hope that we can hold on to because Jesus has proven that he is trustworthy. We have an indestructible hope, a living hope in Jesus. Verse five says this, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in us, in our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Think about how that began. This hope will not disappoint us. What other thing could we talk about that way? What other reality in our life, what other person, place or thing in our life could we say will never disappoint us? Even the institutions meant to protect us will disappoint us. Even the institutions meant to teach us and correct us will disappoint us. Even the people that love us and we love them will disappoint us. But this hope in the person and work of Jesus, the word of God says clearly, will never disappoint us. It will never fail us. It can never be corrupted. It can never be diminished. It can never be taken away. It is indestructible and it can be relied on. That is the hope that we have. There's two practical applications for us having this hope in Jesus. And I want to walk through these and hopefully it encourages you. Hebrews 6:19 says, we have this hope in Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The word of God says this hope is an anchor for the soul. And church, I don't know about you, but I have needed an anchor for my soul these past few weeks. I have needed something to ground me and remind me of what is and what will be, despite what I see, what I think and what I feel. I have needed an anchor. And hope has been that anchor. When I look at my own two sons and my mind is tempted to worry about how they will be seen as they get older and bigger. And will they be okay? Hope has been an anchor. When I'm being asked to step out of the car with no explanation given and I have to choose between my dignity and my safety, hope is an anchor. When I have no good answers for the hard questions of the injustices of this world to those who are looking for answers, hope is an anchor. When it feels like there is one step forward and two steps back, while brothers I love sit on the sidelines, fact checking the grief of an entire people, hope is an anchor. And so this hope isn't just a future one day it will work out. No, it is a present hope that Jesus is working now. God is working now. My soul can find comfort now. And that's what it means for hope to be an anchor. But hope is more than an anchor. Hope is also a fuel. Hope is also a fuel. A man by the name of Gary Hagen wrote a book called Good News About Injustice. He was an attorney that worked for an organization that would travel around the world and specifically during the genocides in Rwanda. And he saw unspeakable horrors. He saw things that would shake the faith and foundation of any man or woman. And yet he held fast to his faith in Jesus Christ, although he saw things that were without an explanation. 
And he says this about hope. He says this eternal hope in Jesus is not a reason to escape from the needs of our world. Rather, it offers the nourishment of spirit that has empowered Christians through the ages to serve those needs tirelessly unto death. You see, this hope isn't just a hunkering down and waiting it out. No, this hope is fueled to engage in brokenness, to engage in lostness, to propel Christians outside of these four walls and into the very world that's causing all the suffering and brokenness. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 11, verses three through five. Some disciples were sent and they they didn't know if Jesus was really the promised Messiah. There had been people who who came before Jesus who said that they were the Messiah and they even did miraculous things and they spoke with authority and wisdom. And yet they wanted to know, these disciples wanted to know, is Jesus the real deal? Is he finally the Messiah that we've been waiting for? And so they came to visit him and they asked him this question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Do you hear what Jesus just did? It says Jesus validated his earthly ministry by showing how suffering was being relieved, oppression was being addressed, and the gospel was being preached. Jesus said, oh, if you want to know if I'm really the Messiah, look around and what do you see? Do you not see those who are bound and broken being released and freed? Do you not see those who are sick and infirm being healed? Do you not see the gospel going out to even the poor, those who were rejected by society? Go run, tell that. And that is how Jesus validated his earthly ministry. And so hope is an anchor for our souls, but it's all a fuel for our feet that sends us outside into this world armed with an indestructible hope. And this eternal indestructible hope, again, doesn't cause us to hunker down and wait it out. It causes us to plunge ourselves into brokenness. And as we throw ourselves into this world and into brokenness, we are anchored by an indestructible hope. We are fueled by an indestructible hope and our hearts are guarded by an indestructible hope. And so church, in this moment right now, we see that we have a firm foundation because of our justification, because of what Jesus has done for us. He has secured for us both present and future blessings. This future blessing that one day God will come back for his church, that one day God will come back with a flaming sword in his hands and justice will be displayed and redemption will be completed. But that future hope also gives us a present hope that right now, even in our afflictions, God is working something in us. That God is working in us an endurance that will produce a character and a character that will produce a hope that is now a present and indestructible, incorruptible, eternal hope that is felt by those around us even now. And like Jesus, we go and see those who are suffering relieved, those who were oppressed 
receive justice. Those who need the gospel hear the good news. And how does Jesus do that? He does that through you and through I and through us gathered together as the church. You see, Jesus isn't done healing. He isn't done relieving oppression. He isn't done preaching the gospel. Now he uses his hands and his feet, the bride of Jesus Christ, the church. He uses you and I to continue the mission that he started. And just like Jesus validated his earthly mission by what was seen and heard, so must we too validate the presence and power of God working in us by the same metrics. Do we see the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, the leprosy cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead raised, the poor receiving the good news? Do we see God working through us even now? to declare that there is no other gospel which you should look for. There is no other good news which you should be looking for. No, this Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah is the one that you've been waiting for. You see, just like John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus, are you the one? The world is asking us the same question, church. The world is asking us, is your Jesus really the Jesus of hope? Does your Jesus have something good for me? Does your Jesus really love me? I think the call here today, fueled by hope, is to respond, yes, Jesus does love you. Why? Because you can look and see how believers act. There is hope for you. Why? Because you can look and see how believers act. You see, God is still answering the question through us because the question still needs to be answered. Is there a Messiah for me? And so we don't hide behind our walls. We don't hide behind our theology. No, fueled by hope, we take it to those who are looking for it. We take this hope, this indestructible, incorruptible hope with us as we go fight on the side of the oppressed, as we go relieve the injustice of those who are on the other side of justice. It fuels us and should carry us. Church, this has been a reminder for me And hopefully you've been reminded today of the anchor of hope today. There will be more bad news. There will be more hashtags. There will be more disagreement. There will be more controversy. There will be more misunderstanding. And in those moments, what is going to keep your heart from sliding into despair, from sliding into frustration, from sliding into anger and sin? Well, the word of God says that hope is that anchor. Hope that it's not up to us alone, that it's not up to our efforts, that Jesus is working in us and through us, and he has already overcome the world. And so we step into the public square with humility and courage because we know Jesus, the victor, has already come before us. And also, the anchor of our souls of hope also fuels our hands. It doesn't make us retreat back into our enclaves of safety and comfort. No, it sends us back out because we have the only answer, our justification, the redemption and the peace that is only achieved in Christ and fulfilled and seen through Christ's people mobilized into a city. That is hope as well. And with this hope, church. And if we're honest, this hope that sometimes is only seen clearly in darkness, armed with this hope, we must stay the course. We must stay the course until we have breathed our last and we hear the sweet sound of our Savior say, 
well done, good and faithful servant. Not well thought, not well intentioned, well done. Armed with hope, mobilized with hope, anchored by hope, we go. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.